Welcome to the Ask the Experts podcast. Here's Karen Bhatia. I am Karen Bhatia, and this is Ask the Experts. Last week, I spoke to the boxing journalist Dan Rayfield. He's been in boxing for two decades, started out at USA Today, and then, of course, the long run at ESPN. Obviously, there's been news breaking about Dan and his career. Uh, That news came after our interview, so that remains to be seen in terms of what Dan Rayfield's next move is, but I wanted to share the conversation that I had with him. You're going to hear the entire uh, interview that I had with him. Last week, we talked about how he's holding up right now during everything that's going on. Um, How does he reflect on his career handling criticism as a journalist? There's definitely been he's definitely gotten his fair share of criticism. And I've asked him how he handles that. Um, What does he think about the zone? What does he think about matchups later this year? Are we going to get Canelo versus Triple G? Are we going to get Fury Wilder three? We talked about all of those things. So stay tuned for my wide ranging conversation with Dan Rayfield. And then I will be speaking to the 17-year-old phenom, Xander Zayas. If you haven't heard his name before, you will. He's 4-0. He's got three knockouts. He was the youngest fighter ever to be signed to a professional promotional contract. He's signed by top rank. He was signed at age 16. He's up and coming. He's 4-0, like I said. Obviously, with everything that's going on in the world, it has put a pause on his plans. But I'm going to talk to him about what's next, what are his goals in the sport, um, what does he hope to achieve, and how is he spending this time off. So without further ado, let's get to my first interview with Dan Rayfield. I am Karabatia, and let's ask the experts. I am Karabatia. This is Ask the Experts. Lucky enough to be talking to Dan Rayfield, boxing writer uh, for ESPN. You've been covering boxing for such a long time, Dan. So, of course, the first question is, how are you holding up in these crazy times? We know the global pandemic. How, how are you holding up? I mean, I miss boxing, but, uh, you know, that's the, it's a small matter when you think about everything that's going on in the world right now. So we're fine. I mean, my wife and son, we're just in the house doing our thing. Uh, you know, every day kind of seems the same at this point. There's still a few things to do in terms of the work, but, uh, you know, I, I guess uh, we're a lot better off than a lot of people could be. You know, we've got shelter. We're not sick. We've got, uh, you know, clothes in our bag. we got food in the fridge and, uh, you know, just, just a little bored, you know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use some of this time, though, to be honest. I'm going to go through as people that may follow me on uh, my social media. You know, I, go, I have a lot of boxing collectibles, my programs and posters and all that kind of stuff and cards and everything. I'm going to take some time maybe and try to, you know, organize a little better than it has been. Maybe that'll be my project for the next uh, long term for the next few months. No, speaking of your social media, I know that you have an anniversary coming up. Uh, in August, it's going to be your 10-year Twitter anniversary. And I'll tell you why oh. I know this, because uh, the first time <laughs> I right, met you... think about that. You're right, though. Yeah, and the first time I met you in person, I was uh, I just started at HBO, and I was down in St. Louis for exactly. Alex Devin Alexander versus Katelnik, and I ran into you in the craft services area, introduced myself, <laughs> told you I was a fan of your work, and you said at that time, August of 2010, that you had just got on Twitter. So I, that's that's a big deal for you, right? <laughs> I'm gonna tell you about that. That's funny you mentioned that. I kind of, I mean, I now that you mentioned, I know that that is the time when I did that. In fact, you're right. It was uh, the Devin Alexander Katelnik in St. Louis, and the reason why I started my Twitter account in St. Louis the day of that fight was I had been asked over a period of time by a lot of people in boxing as well as fans and, and that sort of thing in my chat that I used to do, you know, would I consider doing Twitter or joining more social media? At that time, I mean, I had like a personal Facebook page, but I didn't have Twitter. I didn't have a, a boxing related uh, Facebook page and no other social media that I used. And uh, people asked about all the time. So I went to a fight in Las Vegas. I believe it was the rematch between Juan Manuel Marquez and Juan Diaz, which was an HBO pay-per-view fight. Yep. I think we're talking about the Alexander fight that was in August. I believe that fight was like July. Of that August. was July 31st, 2010, I believe. Yeah. Okay. So one of the days at the Mandalay Bay, I was in the media center. And I really didn't really know what Twitter, like what it was about so much. I didn't follow it, didn't use it. A lot of people that are on it. Um, but one of the guys that worked the social media for HBO was in the media center. He's like, come over and I'll show you what it's all about. So he put out a message to the folks that followed the HBO Twitter at that time. Hey, I'm here with uh, Raphael in the media center for the fight. You got any questions for him? 
okay. So like we waited like, you know, a minute and like all of a sudden, like a bunch of questions popped up. And so we did like a mini chat, so to speak, right there in the media center. And uh, he's like, you really should join. I was like, you know, that's a pretty good idea. I'll think about it. Now, <laughs> that event in, uh, in St. Louis. Right. So before the fight, like the Friday night, I go out to eat dinner, me and Max Kellerman, who was there working the event as an HBO commentator. Max and I have been good friends for 20 years practically. So we, we go out to have dinner that night and Max is on Twitter. He had a lot of followers. I don't remember what it was, but he's like, join this. You know, you, you know, you get a lot out of it, both in terms of, you know, providing information and entertainment right. value for yourself and your profile, et cetera. So I was like, yeah, I'll think about it. So he showed me his and showed me a few more things about it. And I was like, no, I'll think about it. You remember in that, that weekend, uh, it rained that Saturday of the day of the fight, pouring, pouring rain. You know, I was looking forward to spending some time that day, kind of uh, seeing the sights of the city and, and, and taking a walk around St. Louis and really couldn't really do much because it was uh, such terrible, terrible weather. So while I was sort of hanging in my hotel room, kind of bored, I was like, you know what, let me see what this Twitter is all about. I went on on that, that afternoon, I created my Twitter account and I told Max, I like texted him or emailed him or whatever. I told a, a friend of mine that had a sports radio station in St. Louis, Bernie Nicholas, who worked also as a columnist for the St. Louis newspaper. And I said, hey, guys, you know, I just started this. And uh, I guess they retweeted it or let people know. And so within a couple of hours, I all of a sudden had a couple of hundred followers. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> By the end of the night, I had like, or the end of the weekend, I probably had like over a thousand. This is unbelievable. And started it. And there you go. And the rest is history. The rest is history. You now have over 200,000 followers. Uh, I'm Almost sure 250 every, at this point or 240, something like that. There you go. And I'm sure every time there's a big fight, more and more people uh, start to follow you. So that, that is one thing that I feel like you've been able to do really well as uh, a boxing writer is engage with fans, right? You're able to chat with them on Twitter. And when I told people that I was going to be interviewing Dan Rayfield, you can guess the first question everyone had was the chat. How do we get the chat back? What do we do? So I understand it's obviously not your decision, uh, sure. the boxing chat. And just for anyone who may not know, the boxing chat, Dan used to do a, a weekly boxing chat. Fans could chime in. It was actually a great place to, to learn about boxing news, rumors, things like that. Um, I'm sure you've, a, you've gotten this question so many times, but is there any way to get the chat back even in a different form? Anything we can do? I mean, I've thought about bringing it back, just like doing it within the confines of like my Facebook page or Twitter. But in terms of like on the official site, it's, it's, no, it's no longer, it doesn't exist. And the reason is not because they didn't like it or it was no good or people didn't join it. Remember for a long period of, first of all, I did chats at USA Today even before I was at ESPN that proved to be somewhat popular. I didn't do it quite as regularly. I didn't do it necessarily once a week, but I did it every couple of weeks or certainly before a major fight. And it was a weekly thing and, you know, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, people, you know, think like, you know, I was getting paid extra money to do it or I was doing it. That is just not true. I did it because I liked it. I had a good time. It was enjoyable. You know, I would do it for several hours every Friday uh, as long as I could squeeze that in. Um, what happened is the, the software that the company used to support those chats, because if you recall, for a long period of time, it wasn't just the boxing chat. There was other writers. Oh, there was tons. Yeah. Sports. Of course, they did them in all kinds of different things, not to mention in other sports and boxing in particular, say, say, for example, there's a pay-per-view fight or there's some big fight on one of the networks. Their, their PR folks would, would get some of the boxers to do their own chat. And we'd have like a 20-minute chat with, you know, Manny Pacquiao or, or, or Oscar De La Hoya or whoever it was that was in the big fight of that week. Uh, that software was no longer being used or supported by the company. And one by one they went. I was able to maintain it the longest because I was the most into it, I guess. And uh, by the time it was over, mine was the last one standing. And then eventually the software just wouldn't work anymore and no one was there to support it. So it just went away. And, uh, you know, uh, I had a blast doing it. And, uh, you know, maybe sometime in the future and in some place we can, uh, you know, rekindle it. But uh, we'll all of us have our good memories of uh, Payton Man Shirley on Friday afternoons. Yeah, I mean, there's so many inside jokes that came out of it. Hopefully <laughs> we can bring it back in some way. Um, so let me, let me ask you this. We talked a little bit about coronavirus. Obviously, that's on everyone's mind because it's disrupted the world of sports that we know. UFC, I think the latest news is Ferguson versus Gaethje is happening April 18th. Uh, what, from what's being reported is it's a, a venue in the West Coast. I'm guessing that's going to mean California or Vegas, but you know who knows at this point. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think that Dana White and the UFC should move forward with an event on April 18th? You know, I'm not, I'm not going to get into their business. I don't know exactly what they're planning. I'm pretty sure it won't be in Las Vegas. I mean, I have spoken uh, during this whole situation uh, to Bob Bennett from the Nevada Commission on a multitude of topics, and I don't see the Nevada Commission uh, an event uh, in combat on uh, April, uh, believe it, 
18th, is it? I think it was April 18th. And in California, their commission is also uh, no longer doing events through a certain period of time. So the, the, the inference that we draw is that it would have to be on some kind of uh, Indian, a Native American Indian reservation where they have separate tribal commissions that oversee their sporting events, number one. I did see a tweet from Dana White uh, confirming that it was in fact the match that you mentioned. And, it, and I believe that the end of the tweet was somewhere on earth. <laughs> They're not revealing uh, the venue. And I, I assume by the time you put this podcast up, uh, we'll know sort of where it's supposed to be. But, you know, I, on the one hand, there'll be a lot of interest because there's been such a lack of live sports that people are dying to see, uh, no, no pun intended, uh, to see live events, um, sort of like uh, it was live, but there was probably, there was a lot of uh, attention paid to WrestleMania over the weekend, even maybe more so than a typical WrestleMania would draw, even though it was taped and it wasn't in front of a live uh, audience, uh, but it was something new and different. And so it got a lot of attention. Um, you know, I have mixed feelings about what Dana's trying to do. I understand his desire to sort of, you know, keep the business moving, to give people a diversion, uh, to prove that he can do it. He does have ego, and I'm not saying that in any negative way. You know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Dana White. I know Dana a little bit. I like Dana. Uh, we've had, uh, we don't have had, haven't had too many interactions, but mine with him have always been positive. Um, so I, I like the guy, and I think he's a hell of a promoter. Um, so I, I see where he's coming from, uh, but I also don't know if it's the wisest thing. I don't know what the setup is going to be. I'm assuming, obviously, it's not going to have any any uh, live crowd. You know, if the athletes are willing to do it and, uh, you know, the support staff and all the other people that need to be in place are willing, I guess. But, you know, I also would be concerned about if somebody was that had it could spread it among a couple of hundred people that would probably take them out in such an event. The other thing I was thinking about, and, and I, like you mentioned, I was doing Chris Mannix's podcast and we talked about some of the stuff with the right. – deal with this and we talked about closed door fights i didn't mention this but i've thought about this also anytime there's uh i don't know what the exact rules are in in terms of an mma event but at least in boxing you have to have you know ambulances on site in case there's some kind of serious injury in one of the in one of the matches and they have to be transported to the hospital uh you know if you're in a place where they're having a lot of patients coming into a hospital because of the, the coronavirus I think the last thing in the world you want to do is clog up a hospital because there was an incident that happened at a combat sports event that was unnecessary to take place in the first place. So, you know, on that point of view, you know, I might be a little reticent to have a, a combat sports event go forward. Um, so I guess we'll have to see where they put it under what exact you know, rules and regulations they're going to do it on. Uh, so I personally am not a fan of them going forward with it, but I understand where Dana's coming from. And like I said, I have a lot of respect for him. Yeah, I mean, it, there really is two sides of it. One is, like you said, you don't want to clog hospitals or, or create more safety concerns. Now, if there is a way to somehow do it safely and you're able to give entertainment to fans who are, are so lacking entertainment, you know, help people who are at home uh, have some kind of escapism, you know, so th there's really two sides of it. So I wanted to ask you, too, of course, with what we're dealing with. Uh, you know, I, I did some research. I looked up like in the Spanish, during the Spanish flu, uh, there actually were boxers who, who fought at the time. Uh, there's been things throughout the years. Boxing's been around for a long time. You've covered it for a few decades. Have you ever seen anything two, like... Not a few. <laughs> there you go. Sorry, a couple decades, I should say. Uh, have you seen, uh, ever seen anything close to this disruptive? I mean, we know that in, during 9-11, uh, Hopkins Trinidad was scheduled, but that was moved two weeks later. So that wasn't too bad. I mean, this, this has to be obviously above and beyond anything you've ever seen in terms of disruption. Oh, without question. Under, un, no question about it. You know, you mentioned uh, uh, the Hopkins and Trinidad fight. Uh, that fight was supposed to take place on September 15th at Madison Square Garden. Matter of fact, 9-11 uh, happened. I was supposed to go to New York City to cover that fight on 9-12. Obviously, the fight was uh, postponed, uh, but it did, it did get two weeks later on the 29th. Um, some people think maybe it was a little bit too quick after 9-11. You know, I was there, and it was one of the most memorable things I've ever covered just in terms of the atmosphere. It wasn't the greatest fight. It was a brilliant performance from Bernard Hopkins, the way he took apart Felix Trinidad. But, uh, you know, I have vivid, vivid, vivid memories of being in New York in that time right after 9-11. Um, this is a lot different than that because as terrible as what happened on 9-11 was, and it's, you know, a horrific situation, obviously, um, the direct impact, the lives lost, um, the city impact, it was just one city, basically. You know, and then, of course, we had, you know, I was, I, I'm in the Washington, D.C. area. We had our own situation here because one of the planes was flown into the Pentagon. And folks that died in the field in Pennsylvania. But in terms of the, the traumatic events of the city, it was basically confined to New York. 
not the rest of the country. This is totally different. This is the entire world, not just the United States. Um, so as this that was, like you said, it was a huge fight. It was postponed for only two weeks. You know, the fight did happen. I think it did help uh, in, the, in, the, in the larger scale of things to help bring normalcy back to New York City as, as, uh, as uh, emotional, as sad as that night was. Um, people don't really know how to react, if they should cheer, if they should clap, if they should cry. It was, it was a weird uh, feeling the whole time. Um, but there's never been anything disruptive like this in all of sports, regardless of if it's boxing or some other sport. You know, you talk about like an NFL or baseball or basketball or hockey. They've all had work stoppages that have disrupted seasons, canceled seasons. You know, uh, I was a young journalist in boxing, but working in a daily newspaper uh, as a desk editor and a general assignment reporter, you know, when the World Series was canceled, you know, in uh, I believe it was 1994. You know, that was disruptive. But this is totally different because that's not just one sport where they screwed up the baseball postseason. This is every single sport that exists in the world from, you know, the, the biggest sports there are like NBA and MLB. Uh, you know, now there's the disruptions are going to come to the NFL, whether it's the draft situation or I think they will start training camps on time, you know, all the way through every other sport you can think of. So there's we've never seen anything like this period, not even close. No, I, I totally agree. I said this on the debate on the debate show on standing eight count uh, where that boxing's never really had an off season. And uh, now we're dealing with an off season. Of course, every other sport is also dealing with it at the same time. So obviously people are looking, using this time um, to catch up on things, maybe organize some things at home, things like that. Are you using this time to reflect on your career at all? Like we said, you've been in this game for, for two decades. You, you've had remarkable consistency. So have you, um, are you using this time to reflect on everything you've done? And how have you been able to just be so consistent with your work and your boxing reporting? can't say I've reflected on it. I mean, I just sort of try to do my daily activity the way I normally would. I mean, I actually have, even though there's no fights going on, no business being done in the, in the sport, uh, there's, there's really no news happening. But there have been a few things to write. We have come up with a few things. Like, I'll give you an example. Like, one of the things I have worked on over the last, uh, you know, probably week and a half or so is, uh, to, like you mentioned, there is never an off-season of boxing. I've, I've always viewed the off-season of boxing as basically like, you know, uh, the second week of December till about the second week of January. And even last year, exactly. some of the big promoters did fights at the end of December. There was really no offseason. But this is the first time where there's ever been several weeks in a row with literally no fights of consequence pretty much anywhere in the world. Um, so what we decided to do was take a look at all the different weight classes and do what we call division resets. Do two at a time, uh, you know, starting with heavyweight and cruiserweight together, you know, two sections all the way down. The last one will be the, the three small weight classes. We'll put the three together, the you know, straw weights, junior flyweights, and flyweights anyway, and answer a series of questions about each division, like, you know, what the biggest fights are, you know, who's the dark, what questions do I have about that particular division? So I've spent time writing those pieces, and they've been rolling out every couple of days. We've published uh, at this point, I think, about four of them, and there's still um, the other uh, four that are, uh, you know, in the can. And, and so, I, you know, that's kept me busy. Some other things that, that we've worked on, um, we're working on a stories where we sort of come up with, uh, you know, what if there is a tournament in boxing, like we've seen the World Boxing Super Series and we've seen other tournaments over the years, if you could make a tournament without worrying about the networks uh, um, that they might fight, you know, pick a couple of divisions that you'd want to do tournaments on. So I picked two divisions that I was interested in and uh, my colleague Steve Kim picked two others that he was interested in. And so we've sort of been doing stuff like that. So there's things that you can do, but at some point you kind of run out of those evergreen topics because you, at the end of the day, you want to see the action back in the ring. And no, absolutely. And it's good that you're, you're keeping busy. And like I said, it, it really has been a remarkably consistent career. Um, you know, a lot of times when you want to see a recap of a fight, the first thing people go to is that Dan Rayfield uh, recap article. Um, we talked about the chat. We talked about Twitter. Um, throughout your years, I'm, I'm just curious for you as a journalism journalist, uh, how have you handled criticism from people? Have, has there been criticism? Um, I know that years ago there was the Deadspin article uh, about you and they said something to like, you know, the only thing that stands out about Dan Rayfield is nothing at all. Um, how do you, have you heard criticism and how do how have you responded to that through, through I mean, you know what? I've heard it for 20 years. Yeah. In the beginning, it would get you upset and you get, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd get upset about it. But it got to a certain point where you're like, you, you're never going to please everybody. Everybody's going to have an opinion. They don't know me. I'm, I was only concerned about, you know, that I was happy with the work I was doing, that the editors were happy with the work that I was doing. And we're trying to be as fair as possible. And, you know, if you quote per people, do it in context, do it accurately, and just, just follow the basic tenets of journalism. And, you know, if you 
pick my opinion about something, that's you have your own opinion. I don't, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, belittle that. So be it. But, but yeah, you, I get criticized all the time. But you know, at the end of the day, when you get to a certain position in any any uh, industry, I guess you know, you're you're going to be a target for criticism. As it happens, I've worked for two very big organizations in, in media, USA Today and ESPN. Comes with the territory, so you sort of you you learn, you you grow a thicker skin year by year, and so mine's impenetrable at this point. Well, that that's good to hear. I'm glad that that you're still going, putting out great work. So obviously, the economic uh, impacts of what's going on in the world, everyone's taking note. So many industries outside of sports, but uh, there has been reports about the zone maybe having issues in terms of surviving this because the the zone is like a startup in America. Now outside of America, it's definitely well established in countries like Japan and Italy. It's almost like the equivalent to ESPN with, you know, millions of subscribers in America. It's a little different. Um, have you heard those rumors? Do you think there's anything, you know, any truth to those rumors and how do you think they'll fare in terms of this whole, you know, slowdown in terms of fights and things like that? Well, certainly it has to have an impact on their business. Uh, anybody, and not just their business, but, you know, it has an impact on ESPN's business. I mean, it's a sports network. There's no sports to televise. And at some point, you know, you know and you have thousands of employees and uh, a lot of airtime to fill up on multiple networks, as well as a website and, and radio stations that's around the country and that sort of thing. So it's not just the zone that's going to feel the impact. The difference, though, is that, as you mentioned, may be established in other parts of the world uh, where they've done well for themselves. Still, uh, in its infancy in the United States, they've not even been in business for two years. Uh, a year and a half or so, I guess. When it starts September of uh, 2019, I, or 2018, 18, I guess. 18, yeah. So, you know, it hasn't been around that long. And I have to say, to their credit, in the short period of time they have been around, they put on huge fights. They have largely stepped into the void that HBO left behind. That's not to say that, that the PBC team at Fox and Showtime and ESPN, uh, they, those two groups have put on a lot of big-time good fights. But the biggest names... You know, let's be honest, have been with the zone. I'm talking about Canelo Alvarez. I'm talking about Anthony Joshua. They put on some huge fights, whether it was, you know, bigger names like they just had a Mikey Garcia fight that, that was, you know, I can't say what generated subscription-wise. I know I was there. It was a huge crowd, much bigger than I had anticipated down there in uh, Frisco, Texas. But if their the zone's live sports offerings are mostly related to boxing, they have some Bellator uh, in the MMA space and they have obviously some of their studio programming and they have um you know i guess that smattering of soccer leagues and that sort of stuff but they're basically uh, a boxing uh streaming service at this point as they look to try to acquire rights to other other uh, leagues and other sports so this is, has a dire impact on their business model because they literally have nothing new to give the subscribers who are paying either the 20 a month or the 100 a year so i, I would think that has a huge impact on what they're dealing with now on the flip side of that, they're also, hem they're also not hemorrhaging money right now because without any sports events to go, they're not paying out a $35 million fee to Canelo for what would have been a fight on May 2nd against Billy Joe Saunders that they didn't know what would draw subscription-wise. So it is a two-edged sword. I mean, they're not, they're not blowing their brains out financially at the moment, but they're not probably generating. You know, I think probably what they'll look to do, and again, I don't have this inside knowledge or anything, just my opinion, when this passes or whenever it does or whatever becomes the new normal and sports are able to get back, uh, you hope that they can forego the interim fight between Canelo and, and, uh, and Billy Joe Saunders and the uh, Gennady Golovkin fight against Samantha. Have them finally do the third fight with each other and use that fight to sort of relaunch your brand, acquire new subscribers for so many people that want to see that at what would be a very reduced price to get their subscription for the year or even monthly um, and do it along those lines. But for right now, you know, they got nothing going on in terms of the live sports, but neither does ESPN, neither does uh, FS1, neither do any of the networks. So it's, it's a problem for everybody in that business. But they, in particular, because they were on, on, uh, on streaming subscription money for essentially boxing, and there is no boxing right now, and I don't see there being any for a while. So oh, that's exactly that's it. I'll say this also, by the way, and, and yep. John Skipper that runs the place, who used to run ESPN, and my old boss, you know, thankfully is recovering from his battle. Right. So I was happy to. You know, I'd heard about that, and uh, I was glad to glad to see that he's doing okay. So, you know, he's he's a he's a good guy, and he was a, I thought he was a great leader at ESPN when he was there. Now with the zone, and uh, you know, glad he's okay. 
no, definitely great to hear that, that he has recovered. Um, he had kept it kind of close to the vest that he had it. And then the article came out. So good to, good to know that he's doing better. Um, that what you were talking about kind of led me into my next question. So the way it is now in terms of the different networks, we know Showtime has more of the premium cable model, similar to HBO. Of course, Fox and ESPN have, you have programming, regular fights, and then pay-per-view fights. And then of course the zone, like we talked about, I personally think when everything gets closer to normal, I think there's going to have to be a change in terms of pay-per-view models, uh, maybe variable pricing, um, because you can't, you know, it, let's say even if the biggest matchups ha happen, it can't just be like three pay-per-views a month from different networks and promoters, right? right? So what do you, I mean, what do you, what's your take? Uh, when this stuff gets back to normal, do you think these pricing models and things like that are going to have to change? I don't know if they have to change because they're going to have to charge what they have to charge based on what they have to pay out to the fighters and how they think that it will work in terms of making a profit for their event. What I do think has to happen and, you know, pricing aside, that, that's, that's a, that's, that's a discussion that's been going on for a long time, having nothing to do with, uh, you know, a global pandemic. Um, and, you know, I've said to people like one day boxing matches on pay-per-view, the big fights were, you know, 49.95, maybe they were 54.95. And then all of a sudden they were 80, like, there was never like a middleman. It never stopped in the middle. It just went from, you know, super, uh, you know, consistent in that 40 to $50 range to suddenly now, you know, 75, 80. And then of course more, because a lot of people, most people probably order in age and they usually tack on a really quite understood that. In any event, beyond whatever pricing uh, situation there may be, <clears throat> to me, when, when the sport kicks back up and there are those pay-per-view level fights or even just big fights for the networks, whatever network we're speaking about, I think, there's going to have to be a period of time where, you know, forget these nonsense tune-up fights. Guys want to be in a fight. You want to make money. You got to fight a real fight because that's how people are going to come back. No one's coming back to watch, you know, a, a top name against a, a, a much lesser opponent uh, and, and going to care about it. And there's going to be, once sports starts up again, there's, al there's always been heavy competition for sports programming and the viewers. It's going to be even more so because, you're going to have so if again if we're if we're basing this on the fact that maybe things kick back up in the fall, September, October, whatever, you're talking about having a football season, you know, perhaps some semblance of a baseball season, uh, perhaps maybe the end of a basketball or a hockey season. You've already seen as they've recently rescheduled things like the Masters tournament and you know the Kentucky Derby and other major events that take place on the sports calendar. So those things are going to be there, you know, looking for. Uh, their time uh, with publicity and, and fan interest. So if you want boxing to be in that level, you're going to have to make some major fights and, and, and kick it off uh, in, a, in a major way. No more, you know, at least for the time being. I don't want to see, you know, the, the top A side against, you know, a guy that you know what's going to happen in the fight. You know, you want to do that, you can do, you can do it. Fight on the undercard, you're going to have to take a lot less money, whatever. So I do think that, that for whatever period of time we go through that's like the wasteland right now where there's nothing, I am hopeful that when things start up, we will see a surge of, you know, pretty significant major fights that will happen right off the bat, whether it's some of the good matches that have been on the calendar that have been postponed, that you know, back rescheduled, or, you know, fresh fights that people would like to see. No, certainly. And uh, I, I, let's definitely hope that, that that happens in terms of the big matchups. You've been really generous with your time, so I'm going to give you uh, a few final questions here in a speed round. Canelo, Triple G, three. I got nothing else to do, my man. I got nothing else hey. going on. <laughs> All right, great. Uh, so Canelo, Triple G, uh, three, is, would be one of those huge fights. And there have been talks that it would be for September. Um, who knows exactly when. Let me, let me ask you this. A, do you think that'll happen in 2020? And if it does happen, um, who do you think this time off is better for? And, and I'll tell you why I'm asking. So Canelo was going to fight Billy Joe Saunders. That's probably not going to happen. So that means that he doesn't have to go through that opponent before he fights Triple G. Triple G is older. He gets to rest. That's probably a good thing, except that he's getting older as the months go by, right? And that's not good. So do you think the fight will happen? And who's benefiting from the break in between? I kind of suspect that if there are fights back, any kind of normal semblance of a schedule before the end of this year, that that probably would be the next fight because for a whole variety of reasons. One, Billy Joe Saunders having nothing to do with coronavirus, you know, is facing a suspension by the British board for his stupid uh, videos that were put on social media in the last week. So people don't know about that. They can just hit a quick Google and find out pretty quickly. Yep. Uh, so that may be Saunders' problem. But I, I think that, as I mentioned, because there's going to be an appetite for a big fight right off the bat, that that would be the way to do it. So 
if there's big fights before the end of this year, that may be the one that happens, or perhaps it's at the early part of next year. But I kind of suspect that when the next time we see them in the ring, probably will be against each other. As far as the time off goes, you know, you made, you made good points about that. You know, I don't think it, it has super benefits for either guy because you want to have guys stay at least somewhat active. Um, Glockin's a little bit older. Maybe the time off is, uh, you know, not a, not a bad thing for him. But by the same token, you know, there's the rust factor. He did come off a very, very, very difficult fight in his most recent matchup against Devonchenko. Um, so, so maybe he could have used a little bit more time. Canelo, you know, I think the quicker the fights are, the better for him because I still think he's in his prime and still adding to his arsenal. And the, the more often he fights in shorter periods of time between those fights, the sharper he gets. So I guess if I had a pick, I'd say the time off is probably better for Golovkin, but I can find reasons to think that it might be the other way around. And a similar question uh, for another fight is Fury Wilder three. And I'll tell you my thoughts and, and I'd love to hear yours. So the time off, I think will definitely benefit Wilder because he gets an opportunity to reevaluate things. He just lost for the first time in his career. He started boxing at 18. Now he's 34 years old, never tasted defeat. So it's the first time to kind of look back and say this worked, this didn't uh, make some changes. And for Fury on the flip side, we know mental health has played an issue and mental health uh, can creep up when inactivity is around. Now, we've seen him on social media. It looks like he's keeping busy, which is great because that's what we all want to see. We want to see him healthy and and keeping busy. But um, it's interesting because if it was an immediate rematch in July or whatever it was, June or July, it would have been different. Now it's going to be later in the year. They're saying October. Um, Do you think that fight will happen? And who's benefiting again from from this time off? I mean, I do suspect that that will happen, whether it's in October as, I mean, like you said, they were originally going to do the fight July 18th, I believe, was the date that, that uh, was on hold for that fight. Clearly, that's not happening. They've already said that. The, the new date was supposed to be, uh, you know, again, it was never set in stone. Uh, Bob Arum and, and the Wilder campus have both told me they were looking at early October. Um, given what's happening with the boxing schedule and the, and the uh, other fights that are going to be uh, going on, I'm not sure if even if fights come back at that point that we're going to be ready for a big pay-per-view fight when there's going to be so much other activity at that time. You know, it wouldn't shock me if, if that went maybe even into early part of next year. I do think, though, that will be their next fight unless, you know, suddenly Deontay Wilder has a change of heart because he's the one that exercised his uh, contractual right to a rematch. Um, so I, I do think that fight will still be the next fight. You know, Fury, uh, I've seen those videos also, does seem to be keeping himself together, you know, doing – I saw him doing some funny workouts where he was basically – uh, you know, using his wife as like a, as a, you know, lifting weights. Um, one of the things Fury has said to myself and other reporters, uh, you know, when he's discussed his mental health is that training helps keep him in the right frame of mind, exactly. but it doesn't have to necessarily be training for a fight. It's just a matter of going to the gym and going through the, 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 the workouts that he does, whether he's actually getting ready for a fight or not, he wanted to maintain that regularity. So I'm glad to see that he's okay. Um, as far as the time off, I totally agree with you. The time off is probably much better for Wilder. Uh, to assess what happened, um, to come up with what, you know, they can determine will be a better game plan. You know, but I looked at it like this. When Deontay Wilder fought Tyson Fury the first time, Fury tried to box him and, and you know, and move and, and use his jab and that sort of thing. And, you know, he couldn't – Fury couldn't win. He got a draw, even though a lot of people thought he won, but he didn't get the W. So, he you know, but Wilder didn't win either. So he was not successful against a, a Fury that boxed against him. And in the rematch, Tyson Fury completely style and fought him, you know, straight up, went right to him, brawled, and, and, and just tried to slug away. And Wilder couldn't win with him fighting that style either. So the question that Wilder and his people, you know, with this extra time off can use to their benefit when they analyze those videos and think about how they want to approach those things is, well, which way are we going to fight the guy this time? Failed both ways. I mean, those are basically the two ways you fight. You either box or you, you know, you, you be more straightforward. Um, but the time off probably should help him both mentally and physically uh, you know fury you know looks so sharp i'm sure he doesn't want this time off because to get him back in the ring get wilder back in the ring so much uh you know such a short uh, turnaround from the second fight to the third fight i think would have been a very good thing for tyson the longer it waits is the probably the better it is for wilder Right, exactly. As long as Fury has access to a gym or some kind of training or running outside and is staying away from drinking and drugs, uh, we hope that that he'll be okay. So last question in terms of these hypothetical matchups, uh, the welterweight division. I mean, we know that Spence was supposed to fight Garcia in the beginning of the year, of course, the car crash. Then there's Manny Pacquiao in the mix. And you've kind of heard all of those names. You've heard, I, I talked to Spence's trainer, even after the accident, they said they still want Pacquiao 
or Garcia. Um, Keith Thurman wants a rematch with Pacquiao. So in terms of those matchups, I mean, which one do you think will come together for the fall in the welterweight division? In a perfect world, it would be Spence versus Crawford. But, you know, even if we can think that that may happen sooner than later, um, and if there's a room for any kind of a glimmer of hope, it's that when PBC and Top Rank teamed up to do the fight between Wilder and Fury on pay-per-view, if you ask people from both sides, it went very seamlessly. They worked together very well, and there was no uh, real animosity or any real issues, completely the opposite of the way it was when they also worked together uh, doing a fight between Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather. You know, the people that, you know, that was an HBO Showtime endeavor, the Wilder and Fury rematch, that was an ESPN Fox endeavor. The people from Fox and ESPN got along very well. The promoter uh, side of things, everybody worked together well. The PR staffs worked together very well. Um, and I can just tell you from my experience of covering both events, they were the complete opposite. Covering Wilder and Fury, too, was an absolute pleasure. Covering Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather from a coverage perspective and from dealing with, you know, not the matchup because everybody was excited about it, even if the fight didn't live up to the hype. But covering that fight week and everything leading up to it was the worst experience of my professional career. And if you asked plenty of other uh, journalists that covered that event also, they would probably tell you the same thing. But because they worked together very well on the fight between Wilder and, and Fury, you know, I'm hopeful that they can translate that to the possibility of doing a fight between Spence and, and Crawford. But, but I don't necessarily think that happens next. I think what we're probably looking at, uh, and again, it's going to depend on what kind of uh, site fee is available. The Pacquiao people will tell you that there's been a lot of conversation about Manny doing a fight in Saudi Arabia in a place, uh, Jeddah, where they held the World Boxing Super Series final in the super middleweight division. Uh, Callum Smith defeated George Groves in the final to win uh, one of the world titles. So that's a possibility of Pacquiao fighting there. And, and it seems that the likely opponent for that fight would be Mikey Garcia, who, you know, won his loss to Errol Spence at welterweight, but in his next fight, which was just a month or so ago, uh, in Frisco, Texas, looked pretty good. Exciting fight against Jesse Vargas, won that fight, and said that he wanted to fight Pacquiao. Pacquiao has said no problem. His team has said no problem with a Mikey Garcia fight. Pacquiao, of course, would be the favorite, but probably a decent fight, probably I think maybe more competitive than we would have saw between uh, Mikey and Errol Spence. So I think Pacquiao probably looks towards that fight. And maybe with Spence, when he comes back, you know, it still remains to be seen. Is he going to take a smaller fight because to see how he is after the car crash? Or is he going to step in against a real top opponent? Now, he said when he did his interview on one of the Fox broadcasts at the end of the year that he didn't want to tune up. So I sort of thought that maybe that would mean when he comes back, they would just try to put back together the fight between Errol and Danny Garcia, which is still an attractive, appealing matchup. That's still two top guys. And he had the fight against Red Catch in January, got that win. Um, so I guess I could see a situation where we saw a Spence against a Danny Garcia, a Pacquiao against a Mikey Garcia, and then let the other guys at the top of that weight division sort themselves out. There's been talk about Crawford when he comes back, possibly fighting a Kel Brook, uh, maybe even going to England to do so, which he seems to have no problem. Uh, doing he did it when he when he won his world title in, in the lightweight division he fought overseas in the UK um, those are some of the fights that you hear about but the good thing about that weight class is there's so many good names uh, that you can mix and match a lot of those guys even if some of them might be rematches there's still plenty of good fights to make it's it's funny hearing you talk about all these names it makes me itch so badly just to see <laughs> any kind of boxing I'm sure you're in the same boat w would you watch uh, Guillermo Rigandau hitting a heavy bag right now <laughs> Let's not get that carried out. No, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been itching for it, like you said. Uh, I The last fight I covered was March 7th in New York between uh, at the Barclays Center between Adam Konaki and uh, the upset loss to uh, Robert Hellenius. Um, and I was supposed to go back to New York. You know, I was supposed to come home that Sunday and return to New York City on Thursday uh, to cover the top-ranked fight that was on that Saturday at the Madison Square Garden Theater between Shakur Stevenson and Miguel Mariaga. And but it was Shakur Stevenson's first title defense and obviously that was the first card that ended up getting canceled because of this uh, outbreak uh, and then canceled that show as well as the Michael Conlon card they were doing on Tuesday and then it was just dominoes from there pretty much everything was being canceled and postponed not just in boxing but throughout the entire sports world um, but yeah I mean I've been filling the, the void in that sense uh, I've watched a lot of YouTube fights uh, you know videos of old fights on YouTube or my own personal DVD collection that is massive and uh, even video collection of uh, VHS so I've delved into that a little bit um, that's the one good thing that if like I've heard from a lot of fans on social media, like, you know, can you give me some ideas of what to watch? So I've thrown out some, you know, lists and some other 
great fights from the past that maybe not everybody has seen, some that are very famous, some that are maybe a little bit more obscure but still worth watching. You know, Showtime did a thing uh, a week or so ago where they, they replayed uh, in, you know, in the same prime time slot where they would have put a live fight on, uh, where they replayed the uh, first three fights between Rafael Marquez and Israel Vasquez. We sort of disavowed the fourth fight. Um, so they put those on back to back to back. I just saw uh, an announcement from Showtime today that they're going to replay some other great fights that they've had in the past. They're going to replay the, to me, the all-time greatest fight ever, certainly the best one I ever covered, the 2005 first fight between uh, uh, Diego Chico Corrales and Jose Luis Castillo for the lightweight title, uh, unification fight, which is an epic fight they're going to replay. I forget if it was the first one or the second one, but they'll replay one of the two tremendous fights between Johnny Tapia and Paulie Ayala. And there was like two or three fights that they were going to show uh, past fight of the, oh, uh, I think it was John Molina against Lucas Matisse, which was a past Boxing Writers Association of America fight of the year. So, you know, you know, Steve Espinosa at Showtime, they understand that there's a lot of fans that are anxious to see some good fights. So they're, they're delving into their library and then putting that stuff on. Obviously, if you subscribe to The Zone, their library is there to, for people to watch what they've had. You know, ESPN Plus has plenty of uh, boxing uh, in, their, in their archive of some other previous fights that can if you're bummed out about not having live fights, I totally get it, and I'm with you. But it's also a good time, if you're a new fan, to go study some of the past history. If you've been a big fan and you haven't really gone back to some of the great fights of the past, you know, spend a little bit of time looking at some of those fights and you know, lose yourself in that for an hour or two. Uh, you know, go down that rabbit hole on YouTube, and uh, you'll find all kinds of great material. You know, the day that we're recording this happens to be the 33rd anniversary of the fight between Sugar Ray Leonard and Marvin Hagler for the middleweight title. I spent some time watching that fight earlier today. One of the all-time, you know, biggest fights in the history of the sport, controversy, and a tremendous fight. So there's there's still that's that's one thing that sets boxing apart, Karen, that I think compared to a lot of other sports. Most people don't really want to go back and watch a, maybe a baseball game from 10 years ago, or even a basketball game, maybe certain games here and there. There's way more interest, at least from what I can tell, in going back and reliving old fights uh, than other sporting events, it seems to me, compared to like watching an old soccer match or a tennis match or something like that. But boxing fans love to watch old fights. And there's no new fights. So take some of your time and go watch some of those old fights. You can, anybody with a computer can find an untold amounts of great fights from the past. No, 100%. I mean, right now is the time to do that. For me, I've been saying the fight that I want to watch on repeat is Klitschko Joshua. Such a great fight. The fights you yeah. mentioned were great. Gotti Ward, of course, Hagler Hearns. I mean, it goes on and on. There's so many. Last question for you, and don't ban me for this. Have you gone back and watched any Frezza Kendo fights at all? <laughs> I have not. I can assure you. The one thing I might watch would be when he got knocked out by John Ruiz. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there you go. But there, but there are, at this point, you know, it might get to a point where he might have to watch one of those old fights because there's nothing else going on in the, in the boxing world. Um, and, and as I said earlier, you know, the, the unfortunate part is the fans are not getting new fights, but the fighters are suffering because they don't have any action, no activity. So they're not getting paid. I saw some comments from a couple of fighters on uh, Twitter about how, you know, I think joking, perhaps half serious, this is over. How much are you going to weigh? There's going to be a lot of guys that are going to have to lose a lot of weight to make their weight uh, for fights, you know, uh, when this is over with. Um, so the, the fighters are in a difficult spot. Unless, you know, unless you're at the very elite level where you've made, you know, huge amounts of money like a Joshua, a Canelo, you know, guys that are making seven figures, which is a tiny fraction of the overall number of professional boxers. Most boxers, you know, they can go a little ways or they fight to fight, but with no income and no foreseeable income in boxing, it's very difficult. And by the way, the same goes for their trainers. Same goes for the folks that own the gyms. Same goes for the promoters. You know, no matter how much money Top Rank has made, you know, when there's nothing coming in, they still have employees. They still have a building. They still have property. They still have a staff. Uh, you know, there's no money there. And then you have some of the smaller promoters that haven't had shows in a while that don't even have the luxury of the network contracts, you know, at least if you're a top rank or your PBC or your golden boy or your natural, when this does start up again, they know that they have money coming from their broadcast partners. But if you're some of those smaller promoters who count on live gates from some of your shows, a Lou DiBella, you know, a Joe DeGuardia, a Thompson boxing, you know, those types of promoters, you know, you don't have, you don't even have those anymore. So, you know, you can go for a little while, but at some point, you know, you have to put a fight on. So this is not just going to impact, the fans not getting to see fights. To me, that's frankly the least of it. It's all the people that make their living in boxing when fights happen. That's the tragedy of this, besides the obvious, you know, the people that are getting 
being sick and dying. No, that's exactly it. If you ever look up a fight on BoxRec, if you go to that date, you can see all the other fights around the world. And there's so many fighters, so many people training, things like that. And they're all uh, obviously having financial issues during this time. So let's hope that everything can get back to normal sooner than later. Dan Rayfield, I want to thank you so much for the time, for breaking it down, for giving us something to look forward to. Hopefully after this is all over, we can have a mythical uh, boxing barbecue chat or something like that when, this, when everything <laughs> gets back good. to normal. Karen, thanks a lot, my man. The great Dan Rayfield there, formerly of USA Today. He was with ESPN for a long time, but the news broke this week that he is moving on to something else. We don't know what that is. I wasn't able to ask him about that because our interview took place last week before that news. But I'm sure he will end up on his feet. He's been in this game for a long time. And I want to thank him again for coming on the show. Up next, it is the 17-year-old phenom, Xander Zayas. I am Karim Bhatia. This is Ask the Experts. I am joined by the 17-year-old phenom. His name is Xander Zayas. If you haven't heard his name yet, you will 4-0, three knockouts. So, Xander, uh, first of all, how are you doing right now? Of course, we know the global pandemic and everyone is dealing with this. How, where are you and how are you dealing with it? Um, man, first of all, I want to thank you for, for having me in your show. Um, second of all, I'm doing great. I'm with my family in my house. We're trying to stay safe, having you know, having that the, the quarantine and keeping, keeping the social distance. Um, I'm just training at home, trying to stay active, trying to stay loose and doing homework. And for you, I know you started boxing when you were five years old. You're now 17. Uh, so you've been in this game for a little bit. But as a professional, you turned pro at the end of last year in 2019. You went 4-0. and You fought as recently as the end of February. Are, you know, obviously people's lives are at stake here with what's going on, and that's important. But for you professionally, are you looking at this and saying, wow, I was just getting going here. My momentum was going 4-0 and in the matter of a few months, and now obviously everything's halted. Um, I mean, yeah, I was, I was a little sad because, again, I love to be in the ring. I love to do what I do, um, that is, is to box. And um, I was a little sad, but at the same time, I understood the situation, and I knew... It was better for not not just the public but for all of us, and it was it was the best decision, you know. But I was yeah I was I was most I was sad I was really sad. And you said that you are staying in shape, right? Training. So let me ask you this: obviously, what you're doing right now is probably different than what you would do in a regular training camp. I doubt you're sparring and things like that. So what is your training like right now? Um, right now I'm just trying to keep the cardio up. I'm running every day. Um, doing my push-ups, my uh, my syrups, my jumping jacks, jumping the rope. You know, just trying doing my shadow boxing. Um, just trying to stay active and try to be technical, technically sound. So when I get back to the to the boxing ring, I don't, I don't, I'm not rusty or anything. You know, I still have the flow and everything is 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 ongoing. And so let's say, you know, eventually, hopefully, things get back to normal sooner than later. When they do. Um, how long do you think it'll take you f to be ready to actually get in the ring and fight? You're going to need a proper training camp, right? Like, so how many weeks do you think that'll be? Um, I'll say, I'll say three to four weeks. I should be, I should be more than ready to go. Um, again, I'm staying active at home, staying loose. And, um, once this thing is over, which, which I hope is really, really soon, um, you know, and they give me a day, I should be, I should be ready within three to four weeks. And, it, it remains to be seen when boxing will be back. I mean, it remains to be seen when a lot of sports will be back. One sport that is moving ahead in 10 days, there's going to be a UFC event uh, somewhere. It seems rumored to be in California. We're not sure yet. What do you think of that as a fighter? If you were uh, given a date, do you think this is an appropriate time to fight? Or would you say, hey, let's wait until everything kind of gets closer to normal? Yeah, I'll say I'll say I'll wait till everything kind of kind of gets like close to normal because right now there's no point on risking your health for you know for a fight. I mean, I know we love we love the sport of boxing and the, and the sport of combat sports, but at the same time, it's it's, it's your life in danger, you know. And um, I believe I believe you got to take everything 
step by step and not rush anything. I mean, I, I know I'll be able to, I will be able to fight by maybe by the end of this year, maybe by the beginning of next year, whenever it's done, I'll be able to fight and I'll, I'll be able to enjoy and, and do what I love once again. But again, I, I don't want to rush it. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I don't know. I don't like that idea of the UFC having a fight maybe in 10 days in, they say in an Iceland or something or LA or something. I really, I don't, I can't, you know, like kind of say I would do it because I wouldn't personally. And for you personally, you have a long way to go. So there's obviously no rush in your career. 17 years old. You were signed by top rank when you were 16 years old. So you were the youngest fighter ever to be signed by top rank. And top rank has been around forever. They've had the best of the best fighters, as we know, Pacquiao, Cotto, on and on and on. What does it mean to you that they went to you and at and you were the youngest fighter they've ever signed? What does that mean for you? Um, it was an honor. It was a dream come true. It was something that I always looked up to, you know, sign, sign to top, with top rank. Um, it didn't really, it didn't really, you know, I wasn't looking forward to be the youngest ever. But now that I had the opportunity to be the youngest ever, I was really, really proud of myself and really, really thankful and, and uh, you know, like just honored to, to be called the youngest ever and to sign with, with a great promotional company like top rank. And normally fighters at your age, they may be training for the Olympics. Uh, they may be in the amateurs. So why did you decide to forego those and turn professional at such a young age? So the, uh, the AIBA cut the age for the Olympics. Now you have to be 18, I believe, 18 or 19. And um, I wasn't going to make it because of the age. I would I would have to wait for 2024. And um, the opportunity with Top Rank was there. I think me and my uh, my team and I did a, did an excellent choice and went, and went, went with Top Rank. Started my, my pro career early and um, just, you know, I think it was the best decision, but that's why I didn't, that's why I didn't go to the Olympics because of the cut of the age. And would you have the opportunity if you wanted to be professional until you're 18 or 19 and then go to the Olympics and then come back to being a professional or now that you're a professional, that's, that's kind of the way it's going to be moving forward. Um, yeah, I think now that I'm a professional, I want to stay as a professional, just, keeping the in the professional rankings. Um, I think going back to the amateurs is kind of like changing my style again to the amateur style. So um, I believe I just I'm going to stay as a, as a professional fighter throughout, you know, till I retire. And there there have been fighters who have had success turning professional at young ages. Manny Pacquiao became professional at a young age. Canelo Alvarez, I think, was 15 or 16 when he turned pro. And these guys are obviously been legends in our sport. Who do you look up to? I know you're Puerto Rican, so I'm guessing Miguel Cotto, Felix Trinidad are names that, that inspire you. Who's your role model in this game? Who do you want to be like? I want to be like Miguel Cotto, Andrew Ward. Um, they both... Great fighters in and outside the ring. I also look up to to um, Terence Crawford. Great guy. They all they all they all show me a lot in the boxing world and outside. Just to be a great man and just to you know be the best that you can be. So I think those are my role models. But my favorite boxer in in the history of boxing for me is Miguel Cotto. That's the one I really grew up watching. And of course, Miguel Cotto, just such a legend in. Uh... Puerto Rico is such a legend in, in our game. Stylistically, you're 4-0 with three knockouts, so you have a high knockout percentage uh, as of right now. Um, also, your fights are right now four-round fights, so it's harder sometimes to get the knockout because you don't have as many rounds yeah. to do it. Um, what is your style? Do you do you like to go for the knockout? Are you more technical? What's your what's your style and who are you comparable to in the ring? Um, well, I never look for the knockout. Um, I think the knockout, if the knockout is going to get there, it's going to get there either way. Um, I don't go in the ring looking for a knockout. I go in the ring to follow the game plan and get the W, you know. Um, but I'll say my, my, my boxing style, I like, I like to move. I like to use my legs. I like to use my boxing, um, my boxing style. Um, punching my distance, put, in, um, put combinations together, put power punches in between those combinations, and use my defense skills to uh, avoid punches. And at 17 years old, right now, uh, you're fighting at welterweight. Um, do you hope to stay at that weight? I'm, I'm sure you're young. You're still growing, getting bigger. You may, you know, put on more weight as as you uh, as you go along. What's your plan in terms of weight class? Right now, um, I'm making 147 really, really easy. 
it's not a it's not a problem making it. Um, for now, I think I'll stay at 147 for the longest that I can. I mean, I'm feeling comfortable at the weight. Um, I'm eating healthy. Um, me and my team, we're doing a great job. Perfecting athletes doing a great job with my with my diet and my my cut my cutting weight. You know, um, right now I just feel I just feel awesome at 147. So I'll stay at 147 for for the longest I can. And in terms of your career, I mean, what are the next steps for you? Because we said you you started boxing at age five. You're pro already at 17. Uh, people like Deontay Wilder, for example, he didn't pick up a pair of gloves, to my understanding, until he was 18 or 19. So you have a you have a huge head start, um, but you also probably don't want to go too fast too soon. So what are you looking at in terms of title opportunities, title eliminators? When what's your timeline looking like? Um, I don't want to rush anything again. I want to take everything step by step. Whenever top um, top rank callers and give us a day, we'll be ready to fight. I don't I don't want to call you know a fight or I don't want to call a day that I will be a world champion. I know that I'm training hard. My team is doing a great job with me. Top rank is doing a great job with me, and I just got to stay focused. And whenever the opportunity is there, I know we will be we'll be able to take it and we'll be ready to 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 show up to the fight. And who who are you currently training with? Who's in the stable? I know that you're down in Florida. Um, who who are kind of in the gym with you? Who are you learning from right now? Um, well, my my two coaches, my coach Javier Centeno. My dad is also one of my coaches, Orlando Garcia. Um, I got my my um, cutman, Mike Basil, in the gym training with me. Training partners. I got George Cambosos that is fighting for a title eliminator at 135. I got Amira Mom. I got um. I mean, um, Chris Van Hilden, um, Emmanuel Tego. I got a lot of a lot of great guys with a lot of great talent, and that are in that in that position of a world title soon. And um, I'm just grateful to be next to them, see, learn from them, and just just put the work, put the hard work every every single day we walk in the office. And those are definitely names that we've heard of in boxing. So it sounds like you have a good uh, team around you. When you look at the welterweight division right now, there's so many names. There's Crawford, Spence, Pacquiao still in the mix at 41 years old, Keith Thurman, Sean Porter. I mean, it goes on and on. Uh, right now, who do you think is is at the top of the division in, in welterweight? I'll say um, Bob Crawford. Terrence Crawford, I think he's at the top. I mean, he's a, he's a top dog. He's doing a great job. Um, great fighter. Just his style is, is unbelievable, and I don't think nobody right now will be able to beat him for a world title in, in, you know, in a fight. And by the time that you are maybe ready for those challenges, those guys, we don't even know if they'll still be fighting because Crawford, Spence, Thurman, kind of near the, you know, the mid-20s, 30s, uh, Pacquiao's 41 years old. Who right now, in terms of a name, is someone that you want, you know, before the, before they retire, where you say, in the next few years, I hope to get this shot against this guy. Who, who would that be? Um, I wouldn't. I don't. I don't have a name. I mean, whoever whoever they put in front of me, I know I will be ready to fight. Um, I mean, when the opportunity is there, when the opportunity presents itself, I know I will be more than ready. And um, I'm just looking forward to do what I love, enjoy enjoying the ring, and get get every victory as I can. You know, just I know I will be ready. I don't want to call out names because I mean, again, I don't know who's going to be at the top by the time I'll get there or by the time I'm in in that mix. But um. Yeah, I know I'll be ready, and I know my team and I will put the work in to, to go into the fight and, and look as best as we can. And so just to just to close it out, uh, obviously everyone's going through a tough time right now. Everyone wants to see boxing back. What do you uh, want to say to your fans, your supporters, everyone from Puerto Rico, all, your team? What, what, what would be your final message to the fans? Um, for all the fans, I just want to I just want to wish you uh, the best. Um, stay healthy, stay at home, stay with your family, spend time with them. Um, boxing and not just boxing, but every sport will be back soon. Just stay at home, stay stay safe, and please just spend time with the family. Xander Zayas, I want to thank you so much for the time. I'm going to wish you best of luck in your career, okay. undefeated prospect. I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot of you. I hope that we can continue the conversation as your career grows. We can we can stay in touch and keep people updated on all the progress you're making because it looks like a uh, bright road ahead. So thank you so okay. much for the time. Thank you for everything. Hope we can do it again soon. And I'm just grateful for to for you to have me in your in your in your show. Thank you, man.
And that brings us to the end. I want to thank my guests, Dan Raphael and Xander Zayas. If you want to follow us, uh, you can follow at A-T-E underscore podcast. That's on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to follow my personal channels, it's at C-U-R-R-A-N-B-H-A-T-I-A on Instagram and Twitter. That's at Karan Bhatia at, on Instagram and Twitter. Please subscribe on YouTube, youtube.com backslash Karan Bhatia. Uh, please check out uh, our show on iTunes. Hit subscribe. Give us a five-star review. If you want to email the show, it's askthexpertspod at gmail.com. This is Karan Bhatia signing off for Ask the Experts. Thank you for listening to Ask the Experts with Karen Bhatia.